You're listening to The Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. I'm thrilled for today's interview with my friend Courtney of Pizzazzery as part of our Holidays at Home series. I followed Courtney's beautiful table settings and recipes for years and had the pleasure of meeting her in Nashville a few years ago. She has some of my favorite books on parties and I adore how she celebrates everything, even her dog's birthday. But before we get into the interview, this week's episode is brought to you by Seaside Creative. Do you want to grow your website and social traffic but don't know where to start? In need of a website audit, backend help on WordPress or Shopify, SEO racks, and more? Listen closely because I've got the girl for you. I'm so excited to share about Sydney from Seaside Creative. After working with various lifestyle brands and influencers, she discovered that almost all of them were creating content with no strategy or data behind how it could help drive website traffic and sales. On top of that, she's experienced firsthand how little most ad agencies and consultants truly understand about lifestyle brands and influencers, similar to the ones on this show. With her master's in digital strategy and web design and a passion to become a resource for lifestyle brands and influencers, Sydney started Seaside Creative. Whether you're an influencer looking to grow your business in the new year or a small business who needs help with SEO and email marketing, Sydney has you covered. She will deep dive into your analytics, help you identify the channels you should be focusing on, and give you clear next steps to help your business not only grow, but thrive and connect with followers and customers. I got to experience my own consultation with Sydney, and it helped me so much. She walked me through SEO terms, what they meant, how to use them, and I left the call with a list of to-dos feeling more confident than ever, ready to conquer them on my own. I truly now understand what SEO means and how to incorporate them with my business, which is crazy because I've been in business for over five years now that I finally discovered this. But does this sound like something you also need help with? She's offering the Preppy Podcast listeners a free 30-minute discovery call to help you and your business plan for the new year. Simply find her on Instagram at Seaside Creative and send her a DM to book or call today. That's S-E-E Side Creative. You can also head to her website at Seaside Creative to learn more. All right. So why don't you tell everyone who you are, where you live, and just a brief description about what you do. Yeah. So my name is Courtney Whitmore, and I am a cookbook author and blogger at pizzazzery.com. I live in Nashville, and I wear a lot of hats, but definitely bloggers probably the main hat I wear for work and um, food and tablescape stylist. Definitely. And I was lucky enough that I got to meet you in person a few years ago. Yes, um, that was so fun. I love it was so fun. And I've been following your journey like for years on social media. Um, so I love that. But let's go back to the beginning a little bit. Like, tell us where you grew up and sort of what your childhood was like, because I know your mom is involved a lot with what you do and she inspires you. Um, so talk a little bit about your childhood and growing up. Sure. So I kind of grew up all around the South. I was born in Texas and Dallas, but didn't live there very long. Don't remember it. So I grew up mostly in Charleston for about... I think it was 10 or 11 years, so my early childhood, and then Raleigh, North Carolina, and then I came to Nashville to go to Vanderbilt um, for college, and I just stayed. So I've kind of grown up all around the South, and it's definitely influenced me, and I grew up with a mom who 
her own mom, you know, took every holiday very seriously and set pretty tables. And um, she grew up in South Carolina. And so my mom took that to heart. And so I watched, you know, her set the tables for, like I said, every single holiday and birthday and occasion and deck the halls for everything from Halloween to Christmas. And so I think it sort of was ingrained in me what that tradition is like, and um, not necessarily a Southern tradition, but just the tradition of decorating for the holidays and um, and enjoying food. She was always cooking and baking. And so that was kind of childhood. I felt like it was pretty traditional. Um, yeah. I mean, that was kind of all around the South. I love that. So were you always helping your mom with these sorts of things, like cooking with her and setting the table? Or um, did you kind of have no interest and then later in life appreciated it more and got interested? A little bit of both. So when she would do more DIY things like gingerbread houses, I was kind of there and ready. And when she would bake certain treats that I loved, I was there and ready to help. But generally the larger tablescapes, I remember being, you know, like 11 or 12 coming home from like, what was it? Middle school and kind of just looking over at the tables and she was always having a photographer shoot them because she wanted to have a book one day. And, um, she had a a big three ring binder of, um, like ideas for magazines. So like Pinterest, but in like 1993, you know, what, what would you do with all your ideas? So she wanted it to be called Franzi's tables. Franzi's her name. And, um, so I kind of would look over and be like, mom's doing her tables again. And, and it, I wasn't as into it as people might think. So I was really only into it when it was like a craft that I could do with my friends or if it was mm-hmm. something delicious to eat. So, but clearly it must have been, you know, a soaking in somewhere in there because then I kind of rounded back after grad school and loved it. But, um, but yeah, she, I, I watched her do a lot of it. I, we were definitely always like, I was nearby watching her do it or running errands with her to Michael's like every day. So. <laughs> I love that. So you mentioned that you um, studied at Vanderbilt. What what did you study there? Did you study anything that has to do with what you do today? Or tell us a little bit about that. Well, not really. After going pre-med like everybody else, and then after one semester realizing that was not in, <laughs> I wanted to be a genetic counselor. <laughs> that was not in my future. So I switched over to communication studies, and that was my major. And um, it was fine. Um, and, you know, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And so after mm-hmm. college, I stayed and got my master's in organizational leadership and um, which was really more studying large corporations and organizations. So I, I might use some of that. I hate to say I don't. I hope that somewhere <laughs> I'm using what we paid for. But um, but yeah, so and then after grad school, um, you know, I, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think grad school was a bit of a stall tactic for me. I did. I was graduating during a recession and it was how do I figure out how to stay in school so I don't have to get a real job. <laughs> That's so funny. So what was your first career in then? Did you, after grad school, did you go in working in this field then? Or um, what did you end up doing? Yeah. So in my not knowing what I wanted to do, I was sort of looking at corporate recruiting um, or admissions. um, But I ended up over at the Vanderbilt Career Center as a career counselor and assistant director over there for not even one year, maybe one year. (laughs) <laughs> and about like six months in. Um, and I loved working with the students, not to say I didn't like the job. It just, it was not for me. And so it was, I, I felt like I was sitting at a, a desk from, for eight to nine hours a day watching my life go by. I mean, it was only a year, but I, that, that was long enough for me to roll out, realize that I, I wanted to work for myself. And I think some people are wired that way and some aren't. And I'm glad I yep. figured out early that I was. Awesome. So then... Was that year into it when you started Pizzazzeri or how did that come about? When did you start that and why? 
So I was single at the time, and a lot of my Vanderbilt undergrad friends had moved away. My grad school friends had kind of moved back home or all over the country, and I didn't know a lot of people. And so I knew some, I knew a a few, like a small handful. I felt like I was in a new city again. So I started taking this painting class at these gardens here called Cheekwood, met a few girls. Um, They were awesome. And so I started having them over for dinner parties and um, some of the other friends, we sort of friends met friends. And we, so I started throwing kind of larger parties and I loved setting the tables and I felt like, granted, I loved the party. Of course, I felt like I loved the decorating the most. And so I would always want to take pictures of them and show my mom back in Raleigh and uh, make her proud, you know? And um, so I was taking the photos and I, when I was looking up ideas online, I, there were only a, like less than five type of party blogs in like 2009. Um, but I would, I would see that they were putting their party ideas out there on a website. And I thought that'd be a fun hobby. And every URL out there was taken even then. Oh my and gosh. So, I mean, it was just, there wasn't anything, you know, available when you'd go to get a URL. Cause I thought I wanted to create a website and share my pictures, like mostly with like my mom and her friends and not even really to make it a job. I didn't even know it could make money at the time. And so I liked the word pizzazz and I liked the French word patisserie. And so pizzazzerie was born, which if I had known then that this would be a full-time job, it might not be called pizzazzerie because everyone (laughs) says it looks like pizzeria, which I can fully get. So anyway, now here we are, (laughs) it's too late to change it. But um, so I bought the URL, bought a logo package on Etsy for like 20 bucks and, um, and threw it up there and just started putting the pictures up there. And then I kind of realized it could make money. And I started um, reaching out to local news stations and I started doing segments for them, which was tricky when I had a full-time job. And so then I realized, all right, this is what I love. I think I can make this work. You know, I don't have kids at the time. I was just dating my husband. And I thought if, if, if there's ever a time to do something crazy, like leave a full-time salaried health insurance job, like now's mm-hmm. the time. So then I just took the leap. I walked in and quit and said bye. <laughs> my parents were slightly horrified and terrified because the word blog <laughs> in 2009 pretty much meant you wrote what you did that day. And they were they were like, we thought we raised you to know what, you know, and I was like, I'm yeah. just like, I'll explain later, you know, um, but it was a leap of faith, but I refused to go back to a job that I didn't love or just a job sitting at a desk for eight hours a day, which I still sometimes do, but at least I'm working for myself. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So even when you started your blog back then, you knew that it could be a moneymaker, which I think is amazing because blogs were so new back then. So I mean, how, what was the process like of growing your blog, I guess, um, and getting some of these collaborations and getting a following? How did that work for you? Um, I mean, about a month in, I realized I could make money. So we, um, back then you didn't have like ad networks. So we would sell Mm -hmm. banner ads on the side of our site to like small party shops or whatever the right demographic was for me, party shops. And so I started doing that and then companies really weren't were very, it was like the cutting edge of working with bloggers. So like one or two companies and they didn't have PR agencies knowing how to do it. It was very like, no one really knew what they knew what they were doing, but a company (laughs) would reach out and um, partner kind of like they do now. It just was very rudimentary. The big thing as far as growth and learning, um, well, Twitter was huge at the time. So there was no Pinterest and there was no Instagram. So Twitter and Facebook were kind of your growth platforms. Um, People would blog like multiple times a day. Like you put up two posts a day sometimes. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah, but they were short. They were shorter and a lot more sharing of ideas online rather than creation, which I'm glad more it's now about creating your own. Um, 
the big way that people learned was blog com- were blog conferences. And so we would go and brands would set up like in the lobby and, you know, you'd talk to brands. That's kind of how brands interacted with bloggers were these blog conferences. Then it started working with like PR agencies and blogs, I mean, companies directly. But the, I mean, the brands were working with the yeah. bloggers at the um, conferences. So those were kind of like two or three conferences a year. And that's what maybe even more people would go to. And that's kind of where you learned how to do what we're doing and kind of knowledge share because we don't have, there's no degree in this. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you don't really have coworkers. So other bloggers in some sense become your coworkers. And so that's how you learn how to do this because we are all kind of learning together. And it's kind of yeah. morphed into kind of quite the popular thing. Definitely. So, I mean, you've been doing this for a little while now. So how have you seen blogging and influencing change over the years? I mean, I think, do you think when you started, it was less, um, I don't want to say like less perfect, but I feel like now everything's shot professionally and the lighting has to be perfect. And it was that similar when you started yes. or do you think it was more personal when you started and that's changed? Like talk a little bit about it how it's evolved. More- it was more personal when Instagram started. I specifically remember there was a blogger who put up like professional looking shots and everybody was like kind of cocking their head. Like that's so strange. Mm-hmm. Like why didn't they use like the Nashville filter on their coffee that day for their picture? Like, you know, we hadn't figured that was like, they're putting up, you're supposed to just do like casual pictures. Well, uh, clearly we know where that led. So she <laughs> hopped on smart and started doing kind of the wild photos early. That definitely is different. I did have photographers come to my house, um, in 2009 and 10, but it definitely didn't feel quite as intense as it does now. Not that it's intense now, but it's definitely he- heavily saturated. Um, it, not that you can't hop into it, but it was not that way back then. You kind of knew the 10 of us that did this. And um, and we would all, like I said, meet up at these conferences like two or three times a year. So it was just more casual. There weren't there, literally Twitter and Facebook. So there weren't four or five platforms that you're always hopping on to. It was just, a, they, were, they were the simpler times. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely harder now, but yes, I do think things are more perfect now, more kind of keep up with the, per- and, you, and you have to put blinders on because you just truly can't keep up with everybody else, but it certainly feels like you're supposed to, which is a, which is a negative of the industry right now, I would say, but Yeah. So you've had some really exciting projects and brands you've collaborated with. Can you tell me a little bit about some of your favorites or ones that you're really proud of and are really excited yes. to work with or collaborate with? Yes, of course. So I don't, I'm not sure what's ever going to top this, but um, Lint Chocolate had me come out to the Golden Globes and attend with them two years in a row. They were a sponsor um, of the Golden Globes. So they had, um, I went and two other bloggers, the three of us work with Lent. We've worked with Lent for years and years. And so we went out there, you know, the formal dress, the whole get up, the red carpet. It was incredible. Um, nothing will ever top that. So the night before the Golden Globes, we hosted like a like an LA blogger event for Lent. And then the night of, um, we went and it was amazing. And it was just oh kind of what gosh. you would picture. And the after parties were so fun. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm really not sure that anything's going to top that. But I did I have had the opportunity to travel quite a bit to the Dominican Republic with a hotel and um, over to Napa a couple times with, um, you know, different vineyards and then film and style some commercial work for checks at General Mills. Um, just crazy. I mean, things you just, you can't really even imagine that it would have gone that way. I mean, how do you come up with, you just, the opportunities are very unique and 
those don't come up around like every year or anything, of course, but those were some of the highlights of the past decade, I guess. I'm aging myself. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I can't believe that. I mean, that the Golden Globes is major. I'm sure you had no idea you'd be doing that when you got into blogging. Yeah, so your idea and it was awesome. What advice do you so have? That's so cool. So what advice would you give someone who wanted to get into your world, who wanted to be an influencer or a blogger? Do you have any advice for them? Yes, I'm often asked this. Um, I think I might be listed over somewhere at the Vandy Career Center because I'll get a lot of um, students who are interested in hopping into this career some somehow, some way, and they want to know how do they get there. But um, just hop in. A eh? That's my answer for that one. But advice make sure that it's something you really want to do. So I call it, I've called it a few different things, but like my Monday morning test. So I am not a morning person. I'm a night owl. And I knew when I quit that job at Vanderbilt that that first Monday morning, like I thought, am I just going to sleep in and then just somehow end up back at a job because I couldn't make this one work. And I will tell you that Monday morning, I was probably up at five o'clock, like, let's go, you know, and for, if you knew, you know, if you knew my sleeping habits, that's very unusual. So for me to get up and get out of that bed on a Monday morning meant that I was so passionate about what I wanted to do that I would refuse for it to fail. So make sure, especially if you're a night owl like me, make sure that this is what you would get you up and out of that bed on a Monday morning or you shouldn't be doing it. Um, whatever you do, whether you work for yourself or not, if it doesn't get you up Monday morning and you're not excited to do it, you know, and we all have a certain Monday mornings where we're tired, of course, but Overall, if you're not up and loving what you're doing, then you just, you got to change, you know, change it mm -hmm. somehow. So for, for me, if you want to get into this world, my, it, it's hard. So my first thing would make sure you really want to do it. And if you really want to do it, you will 100% succeed because there's room for everyone. You just have to, you just have to want to do it. I think they say some like huge number of blogs fail after a couple of years. Not surprised. It's a lot more work mm -hmm. than it looks. Um, but if you have that, that motivation, you'll make it work and you'll be successful. Definitely. So going off of that a little bit, like what are some of the challenges or the hardships that come with blogging and what you do? Yeah, some of the challenges, it's very fast paced. The social platforms change every couple of years um, or even every year these days. Like Instagram just rolled out a new update and I'm like, how do I post? <laughs> um, but besides just like the technology changes and um, running a website is tricky. So there are you know, I'm not styling tables all day. I wish I could say that's all I did, but I'm reading about a plugin that is now affecting another plugin on the back end of my website. So now readers can't, you know, click what they want to click and get to. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm reading all this back end stuff. I've done a little coding. I'm trying to find someone who help me with. So all of that back end stuff is pretty extensive when you run a website and you're and Google keeps rolling out new algorithm changes and new requirements. You have to go change your plugins and sounds simple, but um, trying to keep all of that rolling when there is no, there's no like true boss, there's no coworker. You're, you're always kind of trying to find out from other people, what do I need to do here? And what do I need to do there? So there's no clear cut um, pathway like there are in other, you know, like in banking or in nursing or teaching, you know, and here you kind of have to make your own steps and find your own um, you know, passions and get, keep yourself going because it's easy to kind of do this for a couple of years and then say, okay, like the website's fine. And then in five years, everything's outdated and none of it works. And so trying to keep everything rolling in a fast paced changing. And then I think one of the other challenges is 
is trying to make sure that you're okay when you feel like you need some new content every day. Because sometimes there are times in your life when you can't, like I just had a baby two months ago. And so I can't produce content at the speed with which I could before. Um, And so, but watching other people do that and they have the time, sometimes I get frustrated. Like I want to to put out more, but um, it's okay. You know, saying it's okay to not, you are your own boss and trying not to feel like you have to keep up with everybody else, which I have to tell myself that a lot, you know? (laughs) I feel like that's across the board with any creative, um, especially I've found a lot of people that I interview because they're so creative with what they do that the technical side, like the website stuff or the number stuff, like that's always the challenge for them. Um, so you're mm-hmm. not alone in that aspect. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is challenge. It's not my language. <laughs> <laughs> so who inspires you or what inspires you? Like, where do you look for inspiration when you're doing a new recipe or a new table setting? Um, where do you find inspiration? From the yesteryears, <laughs> so for both tables and recipes, old cookbooks, my mom's old photos, like I said, of those tables that she had photographed, um, she has one styled shot of each of the tables. It's funny how it was done back then. It's like one faraway shot. And sometimes I wish I could pull in and look closer and she'll remember most of them. But um, so I love to look back at old um, classic interior design. I feel like interior design sort of likes to guide um, tablescapes along. So a lot of the fabrics and wallpapers, I feel like we end up seeing those in tablecloths and linen. So old interior design shots, um, classic dishes. I'm pretty, like I said, I'm pretty drawn to Southern recipes, but not, not exclusively. I love everything, but I tend to, that's what I grew up eating. So I tend to want to put twists on those classic dishes. And, um, yeah. So my mom definitely inspires me. I mean, she and I do this together and she always wanted a book. Like I said, that big three ring binder and, Back then, there was no internet. I mean, it really wasn't. And so she would mail off these pictures to magazines. And she was featured in a few like DIY type crafts that she would send off to like magazines. But she would send it off to publishers too. But they, unless your name was Martha Stewart, you know, you weren't going to get a book. And so yeah. when that, my road led me um, to books, it's kind of rounded back out to her dream, which I love. So I'd say she inspires me because we've kind of together created both of our dreams have kind of come true together it's just not in the timing we all thought but it's crazy like in her timing but it's yeah it's awesome it's fun I love that so actually speaking of books so you have a couple of books so can you tell me a about these books and then b like how they came about and what the process like producing them was yeah so that first year that I quit at Vanderbilt um like I said blogging was in its infancy I was doing a giveaway for a wedding book by Tara Gerard, Southern Weddings. And to facilitate, back then giveaways were like a major deal. I mean, they are now, but this was like, you know, you'd get thousands of entries for a book um, because there wasn't much on the internet. So if you had even a website at all, it was awesome. But so in facilitating giving that book to the winner, I was corresponding with um, the publisher and they said, Hey, would you ever want to write a book? And I thought, Oh my gosh. I mean, I just started doing this, but in some sense, my mom was doing it with me and she'd been doing this for years. So we didn't really know what they had in mind. Um, and they actually had a book they wanted authored. So I wanted to do a party book and they said, well, cookbooks and diet books sell the best. (laughs) I'm like, well, okay. Um, but I want to do a party book, you know? And, um, (laughs) But I was a very much an unknown at the time. And so they wanted a book on push-up pops, which at the time were quite popular, like the little ice cream treats, like the little Flintstone things when we were little. 
And so the, the containers were sold everywhere and people, they, there was not a book on them. So I said, well, all right, I'll do it. So I, um, that was my first book. And then they had another book they wanted authored called Candy Making for Kids that same year. They both came out the next year. And that, I would say that really catapulted my clout with brands in my career. Um, I'm very thankful, but granted, those weren't my ideas. All of the content and creation inside was mine. Just the title was given to me. Um, so then the third book, I said, I want to do frostings. And so they said, all right, go for it. And I did frostings, still asking for a party book on the side. And then finally, an editor from New York went out to the publisher. My publisher's in Utah. And they said, um, all right, you want that party book? And I said, yes. And so my fourth book was Pizzazzery, Entertaining Style. Um, and it was all parties. And it was what I always wanted. And then I did not think I would do another book. I really didn't. And the publisher said, let's do it. Let's do another one. And I'm like... As far as the process of creating them, it takes about a year. Those first two, I did not have a year just based on what their timing they wanted. But it, 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 these last few, this last one that just came out a couple months ago is Southern um, Entertaining Cookbook. They take about a year and they're crazy and you can't keep up with the blog and life like you can. It's, they're huge, massive projects, but they're fun. They're just time consuming. They're, they're, they're truly, you have to do it for the love of the book, you know, because mm -hmm. it will suck a lot out of you, but they're very fun. And I'm very um, thankful that a crazy, you know, small thing kind of led me down that path to writing them. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. And I have um, your two newest books then, the the Southern Yay, yeah. Art Cookbook, and then the Pizzazzery, the pink one. And I love them. I pull yeah. them out all the time for just pretty inspiration. The pictures are so pretty and also some of the recipes inside. Um, so what, uh, tell me a little bit more about the process of doing that. Like how many shoots does it take to do yeah. uh, a book? And um, like, how are you developing the recipes for these? Like what's sort of your brainstorm sure. session um, or your process? Yeah. So like I said, it's usually a calendar year. Um, it kind of depends on what you decide with your publisher, but it's usually a calendar year. And those first few months are just, there are no shoots. It is truly sitting in a room. Um, I co-authored co-authored them with my mom. So we're sitting there with like notepads everywhere and we're saying, all right. And sometimes the publisher will have some insight in the beginning. Sometimes they don't, they'll just leave it to you. Um, but you just sit there and you start brainstorming. What do we want in there? What do we, what are we okay leaving out based on the amount of space we have in the book? And then, um, you know, running it by the publisher, making sure that that number of recipes sounds in line with what they're thinking, what can fit in there. And then you, I, I did not photograph my books. Um, I worked with photographers. And so then you get on, you kind of figure out, all right, what's the schedule. And so there, it was a little different for both books, but for the first, for, Pizzazzery book, it was basically a shoot every other week. So it was going on location to people's dining rooms, taking everything with you, shooting it, and then selecting the best for the book. Um, the Southern Entertainers cookbook, we shot in batch shoots. So we would shoot a week or two a month for about four months in a row. And each day we would shoot maybe mm, four to five recipes. And each recipe oh. would take about two and a half hours, which is insane. You would not yeah. think that one picture of like, like macaroni and cheese would take two and a half hours, but it does. Um, it's, 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 it's a great food photography is totally fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. but there were like lighting experts. And so I would hand over like the hero mac and cheese and then they would get the lighting all exactly. It was, it's, it's like a science. Um, so that one is, is very different than the tablescape. That was more lifestyle shooting. The, the cookbooks are more, 
like you're moving that piece of rosemary with tweezers level. Um, <laughs> but it's cool. I mean, I liked it, but it's draining. And so I'm in the kitchen with my mom making them and then we're taking them out. So we're doing four to five a day. And then at night you're running back to the grocery store. If you don't have something you're prepping for the day before those days are crazy. Um, but, um, what was your next question? It was about the process of writing the book. And then where do I get the ideas and recipes from? I think it was, um, my mom and I sit and brainstorm. So it depends on the book. So the last book was more, uh, pizzazz entertaining style was more different themes throughout the year. So it was obviously leaning in on whether it's holiday and, um, you know, whether it's, I don't know, Cinco de Mayo, but um, the Southern Entertainers Cookbook is 100% family recipes, a lot of them with a twist. We would take them like my grandfather's pound cake. That one was unchanged, but some of them we gave a twist to if I felt like it was a little old fashioned or I wanted to, to be more modernized for, you know, more modern entertaining. I think entertaining's changed over the years. And so that gelatin mold with the fruit in it is probably not our style now. So kind of how do I take those classic Southern dishes that I grew up loving that my mom has from her family's recipes and some from my dad's side too, and how to give those twists. So that definitely came from family recipes and um, things I've enjoyed, you know, eating over, over the years. <laughs> that sounds like such a fun thing that you got to experience with your mom. I mean, and I'm yeah. sure she's so proud of you and just the whole process I'm sure was full of memories though, for you guys that, um, you'll have forever. And then even your kids too, just being around when you were putting this together. So yes, wonderful. yes, yes. We, we got Blakely in a few of the shots in both books, I think. And, um, we, she was, she was always watching. She was very into it. So I love those photos of her behind the scenes helping with the book. So yeah, I think we did get her in this last one too. So she's enjoyed, you know, third generation little tablescaper. Yes. So maybe in the future she will write a book or a blog. <laughs> maybe she'll take over, take over what I'm doing and I can retire. No. Yeah. She, she's definitely very creative and I love that. I hope I can always foster that in her. That's awesome. So since the holidays are here, I have a few holiday questions for you. So my first one is, what's the best gift that you've ever given? This is a tough one. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, and I hate to bring my mom back up again, but about so that first year I was blogging, she had all her Christmas she's always wanted to do a Christmas book. And so she has all these Christmas ideas and Christmas recipes. And uh, many of them are in this latest book, but um, she had them all over the place and, and, you know, different note cards and pieces of paper and they were everywhere. And I honestly think it was like Shutterfly at the time. I mean, this was 2009. Yeah. I went on there and took all those and those photos that that photographer had taken of all her Christmas tables. And I made them into a book. Like you can create mm. those photo books. So I made it except it was recipes. I just didn't put in images except, you know, here and there of the tables and I, it was like a little eight by eight book and I gave it to her at Christmas and it was like, I know you haven't had a book, but this is, you know, this is a book. And this was, you know, like oh. I said, a long time ago. And so she could have it and, and it's, she has it that binding has fallen apart. Um, and oh it's, gosh. it's still at her kitchen, like from use. I mean, it's like, she loves it and it's got everything she wants in it. And this new book has kind of been able to replace that because it has those recipes, but um, most of them. So anyway, I think it was probably giving my mom like that little Christmas book of all of her Christmas ideas that, you know, most of them passed down from her mom to her. And, um, but anything personal this year, I'm going to announce to my husband that the, the baby was the gift. And so maybe I'll get out of having, you don't know, I'm kidding. Um, gift gift is hard for me, but anytime you can make something personal, I would say is, is, is that makes it special. Definitely. I mean, that sounds like such a sweet gift that you gave to your mom. Mm -hmm. So 
This year, obviously, is a little bit different with the holidays. So what's some ways that you can make it special, whether it's, you know, decorating or a food that you could prepare or just any ideas that you have to make this holiday seem more special? Yes. um, Don't scale back. Just set a smaller table. I think the worst thing we could do, I mean, what is this year, first of all? And I mean, what in the world happened? But I can tell you that the um, I think the worst thing that we could do is say, well, no one's coming over or only like, you know, my parents are coming over. So I think I'm going to just not do the garland up the stairway. I'm not going to do that extra tree in the kids' rooms. I'm not going to, because no one's going to see it, you know, that, no, you need to do it. And so I think that brings us joy. We need to do these things for ourselves, not just if we're, I mean, we might be used to having 10 or 12 family members over and we're not, um, but set it for you, set the table, just set it smaller, um, put out the extra trees, you know, put all the lights out. And um, we don't want to look back and think that oh, that was a Christmas. We just didn't put anything out. And so try to keep it as normal as possible. Um, I think that'll bring us joy and not make it feel like such a different year, even though we know it is um, ways to make it special. Obviously, you know, you're not with a lot of your family. My, most of my family has not met my daughter who's two months old. So Aww. we will be grabbing that laptop and zooming them in and I'll set them on their place setting and, you know, say, all right, we're going to sit and enjoy each other and um, or zoom people in to open presents. It's not ideal, but it can be done. Um, so just finding different ways to keep the traditions alive. I think the worst thing we could do is scale them back. So they don't have to, you don't have to have everybody, but you know, still, still do all the traditions and set the pretty table because you don't want to look back and think it was less of a, less of a holiday that way too. Definitely. I I totally agree with that. I feel like um, we've been just setting nicer dinner tables, even just for the two of us, just because you have to make everything seem special and, um, you know, make it more interesting. I feel like we can get into such a rut with just staying at home. So I love, I love your idea of still going all out for the holiday. So how would you describe your holiday decorating style? Um, Probably Southern classic, um, preppy, colorful, um, traditional with a little bit of like modern twist, I would say. You probably could describe Mm -hmm. it better than, I mean, that's what I think that I I embody. Um, That's what I aim for. I mean, that's what I think I have. I think that's my style. Definitely. I definitely see like the Southern classic with the twist with the way you decorate. I love it. So what's a recipe from your book that either everyone is able to manage, even someone that's not good at cooking, or maybe it's just a crowd pleaser that everyone always loves? What's What would you suggest people check out and try? Yes. It is the crispy pimento cheese cups. They're actually in the last two books because and I'm not one to put a recipe in two books, but I couldn't not put it in this book. It was in the Pizzazzery book, um, but I could, it was just, it would not be complete without putting it in this cookbook too. So it is, even if you don't like pimento cheese, which most people don't, my husband thought he didn't. And most of my friends, when I would tell them what it was, they would kind of look at it and go like, I don't like pimento cheese. I have converted everybody into this and I'm telling you, it's so good. It doesn't taste like too, too pimento cheesy. Um, they're so good. They're the first appetizer gone at every one of our parties. I don't think I've had a party where I didn't serve these. And if you if you're you know short on time, then go grab store bought pimento cheese. Um, you don't have to make it. The recipes in there, but you can grab any dip 
to be honest, and put them in these little toast cups, like spinach artichoke, um, things like that. So, but the crispy pimento cheese cups, hands down, they're easy to make, and you can make the little toast cups in advance and freeze them. But you will convert everyone into pimento cheese lovers, I promise. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to try that one next. I tried your um, the like mini twice baked potatoes ones, and those were a hit. I had a little girls' night yeah. with um, some of my girlfriends over, and they loved that. And that was pretty easy to make too. Um, so I love that one, yeah. I would say. <laughs> yes, yes. What? Yeah, yeah no, I love that one too. And then it... Go ahead. What's your best hostess tip? Like, is there something that you always do when you're having people over or you would recommend that other people try? Well, um, I think the, the, at least the biggest mistake I see people making that I've turned into kind of a tip because – you'll see hostesses struggle with, you, know, you go over to someone's house and they're, they're like all stressed out in the kitchen trying to get 10 different things out of the oven. And I think they're trying to make too many different dishes. And so then, you know, half of them are cold, the other half aren't cooked all the way through. They're not, they're standing there in an apron and they're stressed out. So my biggest hostess tip is don't make too many dishes, pick two or three savories, one or two sweet. As far as drinks go, offer a wine, a water, and maybe one cocktail. Don't feel like you have to have or make your own bar and then that takes it off your back. But don't feel like you have to have three different, you know, seasonal holiday cocktails at the same time for four people. I mean, pick one or two mm -hmm. things and then do those well. Don't try to make 10 different things and then none of them are done well because you had too many things on your plate. And I always try to um, finish everything about 15 minutes before guests get there if possible just because it gives you 15 minutes to, you know, take the apron off, take a minute, you know, put on your lipstick, just that way you don't feel like you should enjoy it too. Gosh, darn it. Like, I feel like so many hostesses don't even enjoy their own party because they're too busy and stressed out. And that's not how it's supposed to be. So trying to kind of wrap up everything you got to do a little early so that you can take a minute and so that you get to get a drink and greet your guests at the door instead of like hollering from the kitchen to come in because you're, you know, you're like head into the oven. So yeah. That's Certainly. Not, no, don't that, make too many that's dishes. A good that's my big <laughs> So what, speaking of cocktails, I guess, what's your go-to cocktail for hosting for the holidays? I love my sparkling apple cider sangria. It's, it's kind of like a pitcher. I mean, just pour it all in and then you top it um, with Prosecco or champagne. Everybody loves it. It kind of just the apple cider aromas are perfect from all the way from Thanksgiving into Christmas. So I don't feel like you have to come up with like a peppermint one or a cinnamon one. It kind of just will take you through the fall and into the holidays and everybody loves it. And then I can kind of just pour apple cider over for the kids while I'm making it the sangria. So I don't feel like I have to have two different things for little ones. So um, it's a crowd yep. pleaser. I love it. And it's pretty. That's awesome. So what's your favorite tradition? This is easy. It's um, a gingerbread house tea party I throw for my daughter. My mom hosted these for my birthday is in November. And so my mom always for my birthday party, I mean, probably like half my birthday parties were gingerbread house um, tea parties. And so and we always made gingerbread houses. My mom always came to the class classroom for every grade level and made them in the classroom also. So I was always making gingerbread houses like multiple times a holiday season. And so when I had a little girl, we started um, when she was two. We had a tea party when she was one, but we didn't decorate. But starting at two, we started decorating gingerbread houses and continuing that tradition. And it's going strong. And um, this year is going to have some changes to it, given the 2020 status. But um, the gingerbread house tea party 
for my daughter and all her little friends, it's like a pink sugar plum fairy wonderland. And that is definitely our favorite tradition. That's so fun. I love the pictures from those too. And actually, speaking of which, I also love your dog's birthday parties that you throw for George. <laughs> yes. I, and we, last year, it didn't, last year, I was very newly pregnant and quite sick. And I hated that I didn't do it. I mean, I like wanted to just uh, I, I, like announce an apology to the world because everybody <laughs> loves George's birthday parties and we didn't do one. Um, so this year I need to go big. Um, his birthday's in the end of February and I need to think of what we can do to make up for the fact that last year didn't happen. So yes, dog birthday parties. We really truly celebrate everything here. Like why not? Life's too short not to celebrate. Got to celebrate everything. I love that. It always cracks me up. Um, so what does preppy mean to you? I asked this to everyone because it is the preppy podcast. So how would you describe preppy or what does it mean to you? Classic and traditional, um, especially that kind of New England East Coast. I think of bold patterns like stripes and uh, like navy and white and uh, blue and white. And then just kind of the Southern influence, a lot of the blue and white. Um, I say blue and navy a lot. Not necessarily that it has to be that by any means. Um, those are just kind of those bold patterns that I think of. Um just the classic and traditional, just tailored, polished. Um, yeah. I mean, I love, I've, it's kind of the look I've grown up loving and wanting to emulate. So that's definitely pretty much you embody exactly what preppy means to me. Oh, thank you. I love that. Um, so what's next for Pizzazzeri and you? Or is there anything you can tell us to look forward to or like a sneak peek or anything like that? Well, th- given this year was having a baby and releasing a book four days apart from each other, which my timing on that one was insane. So I think I would like to take a nap in January. No, I'm kidding. Um, I Though I'd love to. I think the creative brain is always thinking of things. So I would say that I really want to dive into content creation um, to share on the website and social platforms. I didn't get to do a lot of that the last couple of years. So when I was writing the book, it's that's one of the downfalls of writing a book. You can't show what you're working on for a year. So I didn't have a lot of time to create new content to share, you know, at the, at the time, because I had to kind of hole away everything for the book. And this past year, it was having a baby and, you know, releasing the book. I was creating things, but not, not as much as I would want to. So this year, I would really love to just kind of start creating and being able to share right after I create it and not have to send it off to a printer for a year. I mean, I love the books, but there's something about kind of that instant sharing that I think is so fun, especially when you're across the country from people. Being able to style something and share it that day or the next day, that showing your own life and what you're doing is very exciting. And I thank social media for being able to do that. So kind of getting back to the roots, I would say, and creating a lot of new content, um, getting the website in order, all of that fun stuff. Not not publishing a book this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think all that's great. I look forward to seeing all those fun posts and different tablescapes and recipes. Um, so my last question is, tell everyone where they can find you. What's your Instagram handle, your website, all of that? Yes, it's all at Pizzazzeri, which is P-I-Z-Z-A-Z-Z-E-R-I-E.com. Um, it's at Pizzazzeri on all the social channels. So Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, if I'm still active over there, probably not, <laughs> but I'm on it. So yes, at Pizzazzeri and then Pizzazzeri.com. And you can find the books on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble. Um, I'm about to put up um, some autographed copies on Pizzazzeri.com and I'll try to keep those as stocked as I can. So yep, that kind of thing, just the books online and at Pizzazzeri everywhere else. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Courtney. I love diving in and learning more about you and your business and your blog. So it's been really fun. Thank you. This was so much fun. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast and follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media. Thank you.